six minutes after the hour on a now theological Thursday. Robbie, up to this point, it was therapeutic Thursday. I guess that the two go together in in, in my world. It's about to say, what if I find the, uh, theology therapeutic? Yes, <laughs> good to be with you, Jim and David. Entirely possible here. Robbie, an Anglican pastor from Virginia, he's the executive director of Preserving Bible Times, a ministry that we love dearly and and are very close to, and uh, a church in in, in uh, Fair, Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, lives in Ashburn, so he knows he knows those Easterners. I remember Virginians very well. They were a, a different lot, largely conservative when I was there, in in the uh, early seventies. Is, is that still is still the case politically, or is it turned around? Is it in the middle and divided like everybody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah I would say so. It's a mixed mm. bag here. You know, you've got both sides of the aisle represented just about in every county and city. Mm, so it's a constant struggle. Well, it was. It kind of brings me to to. Bible times, too, because much the same political division was present then. And I'm thinking of, of first century Israel. There were scribes and Pharisees and rabbis, and, and there were different schools of, of pharisaical thought. The, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, um, the Sanhedrin, which was like the uh, Supreme Court for Israel. Uh, the, the priests ran the country, except for the Romans, who had the civil authority there. Um, and, and all these years of writings by rabbis and scribes from intertestamental times had multiplied the laws and rules and regulations that the Israelites had to live by and subscribe to. That's kind of what they clung to. So when Jesus came and started bringing them back to the truth, it created some major waves, didn't it? It did, yeah, because Jesus wasn't... Uh following the rules of either one of these parties. I think of him as a populist. I just, relating it to, to, to current political times, it is kind of like, let's get back to the basics. Let's get back to the real thing. And those people who pop up in public and say, and, and say, yeah, we need to do that, and this is where you go, tend to be listened to. And and that's, that's really a source of division. It was also a source of division then, was it not? Yeah, and I think what made Jesus different is in a time where politics, power, position, popularity, uh, the religious uh, structures and religious movements of the day, all of these things that you've mentioned with the Romans, and I would add the Zealots and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Separatists, the Essenes, in all of this, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of the law. He is the law personified. He's the author of the law and he's king. <laughs> so he's the embodiment of true power and true position and true uh, law. So he is grace and truth embodied and he is the um, the perfect balance of, of religion and power as he's embodied the law, and he's embodied perfect power. He's the Godhead. He's let, the let, Word became flesh. Let's talk about public education in, in Israel, because it was mainly it was exclusively for young males. The boys went to school. The girls didn't. Um, they were taught in local synagogues. They were taught to, to memorize the Torah, the first five books, and the prophets, um, but that was through the lens of the scribes and Pharisees and rabbis of the day. Mm. Um, so I'm wondering how refreshing Jesus' message was to them. Did, did it strike home? Because they, if, they, if they knew the, 
the, the first five books of the, of the Bible, which was their law, embraced their law from Deuteronomy and, and Leviticus. Um, he must have had a, been, a, been a familiar voice, but in a different way than the everyday voice. Which voice was loudest for them, do you suppose? That, that, that's a big question, and, and there's so much to unpack in even what you're saying about the importance of the Jewish people of education. I just heard uh, Dr. Cindy Parker do an exposition of Luke 10 and Mary and Martha, where she makes the point that uh, women are indeed being educated um, differently, slightly than men, but as importantly as men are being educated. And um, by her her podcast is phenomenal. Highly recommend uh, Dr. Cindy Parker. Her book is amazing as well, um, and would just encourage you know your listeners to to check out. Dr. Cindy Parker, some of her yeah, words. Yeah, that's a narrative of place is the name of her, yeah. her website. Um, and she's a phenomenal teacher. You would she appreciate it. Yeah, there's a link to it on the Preserving Bible Time site. It's in that window that changes. You can click and change it to narrative of place. Click on that. It'll take you right to her, uh, her ministry, her website. But she addressed this issue of women and education uh, recently in one of her presentations to Jerusalem uh, University, JUC. Jerusalem University College, and I just thought she did a wonderful job of opening that up. But the scribes, you you would have been scribal in your way you phrased your question in that the scribes believed that the oral tradition was less than or inferior, and indeed the, the canon of the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, that's what's important. Well, of course they were. That's what they did. They wrote things down. And right. that, that was not that that was something that the common ordinary everyday person didn't have the ability to do either because they didn't know how to write, didn't have the materials to write with, had learned everything verbally, orally. That is, they memorized by hearing and then repeating, speaking of the Torah. So the scribes, I could I could see where it might have gone to their heads. Sure, sure. Hmm. And, and if hmm. you look in the Old Testament, one of the most popular scribes is Ezra. Uh, Ezra most likely wrote First, Second Chronicles. He wrote, or he writes Ez, Ezra, Book of Ezra, but also potentially um, Baruch, Esther. Baruch, the Jeremiah's. Uh, we we think of them as like secretaries. Yeah, we're we're and I I'm thinking now of all the the the, the public boards and things I've, I've sat on organizations. The secretary always had the power That's because right. they wrote things down and told you what had been written down, and all of a sudden they were the authority. Did the scribes have, have a similar mantle during during the, the biblical period? Yeah, I mean, and the scribes are basically Pharisees. I mean, what is a Pharisee but a teacher of the law? Today in the church, we're observing the conversion of St. Paul, and Paul uh, is is a Pharisee by his own admission in Philippians 3. He says, I, I am a Pharisee. <laughs> he like labels himself. What did it uh, take Jesus. to be a Pharisee? Did Because they started the Pharisees, I think, as a political party back after the uh, the Maccabee Revolution and they kicked the Greeks out and so the uh, Jews were ruling Jews again. And there was uh, a movement afoot to politicize control of the society and i think they were a political party to begin with but do you need if you are you a card-carrying pharisee or is it a a a a name that the public just applies to you automatically because you're a teacher um how do you become a pharisee they have to vote you in do we know that 
Well, at its essence, a Pharisee is a teacher of the law. This is what Jesus says. I mean, the key really to unlocking Jesus's view of the political and religious structure of the day is his woes to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. So here in this, in these woes, to, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He calls them um, teachers of the law, the Pharisees. So at, at its essence, the Pharisees are teachers or experts on the law. So all scribes are Pharisees, but all not all Pharisees are scribes. That's mm. important. It's almost like if you want to take it to the next level, you'll you'll be the recorder of the law. We hear the you'll, term lawyers mentioned too, like the young lawyer that came up and, and quizzed Jesus. Um, like like civilian scribes or Pharisees, who who were they? Do we know? Or maybe it was Roman law they were they specialized in. I I don't know. Well, I mean, there therein lies your your tension, right? And the, the religious and political power tensions that are of the day. I mean, we're basically talking about the religious context here. We're talking about the historical context. It here. was a it was a theocracy. I mean, right. God was at the well, center of civil government there. Well, the, for the Jews, mm -hmm. but. Don't not for the Romans. True, <laughs> you know. And so when you get these guys together, I mean, this is what's happening. This is the differential between, say, Mark one, and this is where I really want to draw from Mark chapter one, when uh, Jesus is in Capernaum and he's teaching and he casts out a demon in the synagogue. You see that uh, there was. They say of him. They say, "Who is this that teaches?" as one who has authority, unlike the scribes. And so the, the issue here is as Jesus is teaching, verse 22, Mark 1, 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And at the end of the account, it's repeated that immediately Jesus's fame goes out. And you see this in verse 27. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, who is this? What is this new doctrine? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits to come out. So two things here. Number one, teaching. Number two, authority. Mark's writing to a Roman audience. He's writing to the Romans, a Gentile audience. So authority, in terms of power, is important. So Mark is highlighting this. If you really want to get to how the Jews view it, and Jesus is Jewish, and he's a Pharisee, and that he is a teacher of the law, look to Matthew 23 for the unpacking of this, where Jesus really indicts the religious leaders of the day, and you have the woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus is most critical of his quote own people his own his own circle well i understand he pharisees. was ranked as a pharisee the hasidim were the northern pharisees and they were known for miracles and and curing people and and uh and and he kind of fit in that so i guess the public must have included him in that group automatically i'm not sure that he claimed membership i don't know if that's something you'd be proud of or and in his case he didn't need them you know right well, again, I, I would cite Jesus' own words. I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Jesus is the greater Pharisee in that he's not an expert of the law. He's not just a teacher of the law. 
He's the embodiment of the law. <laughs> he is the law. He's the law personified. So if we can get our heads around that, that the Pharisees are a cheap knockoff or invitation, imitation, and, and Jesus says this. He says, you guys aren't practicing what you preach. He said, beware of the scribes and the Pharisees. Listen to what they teach you, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. Jesus not only knows the law, but he practices the law. Technical question. This, this, this performance, this occasion, this teaching in Capernaum, uh, and this is a little bit about the timeline. I think next came his Sermon on the Mount, and shortly thereafter his presentation at the synagogue in Nazareth. They'd invited him because he was causing such a stir in the countryside up there. He was, he was a homeboy that had been raised in Nazareth, and he was, he was, he was the rock star of the day. And so they invited him to teach at the synagogue. And after he, he read from Isaiah, he sat down on the Moses seat. In Matthew 23, he says the scribes and Pharisees sit on the Moses seat. By doing that, that told the audience in the synagogue that what, what the scribe or the Pharisees, or in this case Jesus had said, is the equivalent to the law of Moses. And it's as if Moses presented the information personally. So that, that carried authority. To, to think that the scribes would sit on the Moses seat kind of shocks me. Yeah. So, so where do you get your information from? Like, who is your authority? Yeah. If Jesus, Jesus is taking up the seat of the authority, because where did Moses get the law? He gets the law from the finger of God, who's etching it into stone on Mount Horeb, uh, on Sinai. So this, this promise, and, and by the way, this, this Sunday, this Mark 1 uh, passage is paired beautifully with uh, Deuteronomy. And in the Deuteronomy passage, you get that God's going to raise up a prophet from among the people. And so this promise is that of the Messiah coming. And so... You see this, and uh, let me let me actually just pull it up for you. We'll read it. It's Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 through 22. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them like a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words into his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command them. So the Israelites are scared to receive a direct word from God because they're afraid it's going to kill them. This is the glory or the weight of God's presence. So God says, yeah, I'll give you a prophet. I'll give you power and law personified. And Jesus is that prophet. And the Israelite people are awaiting that prophet, which is why when John the Baptist comes on the scene preparing the way, they ask him, are you Elijah? He said, no. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. Who are they anticipating? They're anticipating the Messiah. And John the Baptist says, I'm not him, but he's coming. 
And I'm not un, I'm unworthy. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Jesus is power and authority personified. He's he's the prophet. He is the embodied word of God. This is why when John begins his prologue, in the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the embodiment of the law. He's the embodiment. He's the embodied word of God making God's word known to his people. So he's the ultimate authority. And this is what the crowds recognize. This is what the the people recognize in Capernaum when they say, who is this? That he speaks with authority greater than the one who actually penned the law, the scribes. And all those young men in the culture who, mm-hmm. who also taught a lot of the young women the, the, what they knew of the Torah. And, and so women were not bereft of education, but they had to earn it kind of kind of differently. Um, they would have been, in fact, I think the culture, I'm told through a lot of Doug's teachings, Doug Greenwald of Preserving Bible Times, that they were expecting the Messiah at any moment in that culture because of the, the prophets, the prophecy in, in the book of Daniel that said 490 years and they were in that time frame. And so they were eagerly awaiting, anticipating the Messiah, although they had a different idea of what to expect than what they got. But when Jesus sat on the Moses seat, it seems to me that makes the scribes and Pharisees frauds. (laughs) Well, at least missing the point. Uh, I mean, these are people who have knowledge of, of God and his word, but they don't practice it. We so shouldn't. We shouldn't left. assume they were all bad, should we? We shouldn't. Uh, I mean, listen, we we're all missing the point at some point, right? We're all kind of missing the boat. But the error is understanding the word, knowledge of the word of God, but not putting it into practice, not living according to it. This is why Jesus labels them as as hypocrites. You've heard the old humorist saying that you should never trust a skinny cook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Right? I mean, basically what we're dealing here with here with the Pharisees is people and the scribes, they're, they're knowledgeable of the Word of God, but they're not putting it into practice. They're like the skinny cook. Skinny cooks of, of the time. I like that. I like that. You, you shouldn't trust them because they're not actually practicing what they preach. So again, mm. the key to all of this and Jesus' own indictment of all of this and i would encourage your listeners you know so long but matthew 23 and again this is written to a jewish audience and so we see the the woes to the scribes of the pharisees and jesus says listen to them but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they what they preach they're making a good show but they're not doing what they say so here here's here's the issue who are we listening to we're all sitting under somebody's authority. We're all obeying authorities every day. We're all listening to or living by some kind of teaching. We're all being taught all the time. We're being indoctrinated all the time. Think about like marketing. Every time you're marketed to, somebody's teaching you. So two things appear in, in Mark chapter one, that Jesus is teaching with authority. These two things are are prevalent in first century culture, Roman power, religious power, teachings of the synagogue, teachings of the, the temple and the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes and the zealots 
and the Sadducees and the Essenes. You've got all of these religious, you've got this syncretism, this religious Roman power teaching soup, if you will. And people are swimming in this culture. And the issue is, who are you listening to? Who, who are your teachers? And whose authority are you submitting to? And I would, I would venture to say, as close as we can get to the source, the better. And who is Jesus, if not the source of all teaching and truth, and the source of all power? Again, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and he's the law embodied, and he is the ultimate power and the ultimate authority. And, and as close as we can get to Jesus— the closer we can come into alignment with God and his will, because Jesus is God. He is the word become flesh. So we can default into being a Pharisee, someone who's really knowledgeable of the law, but not practicing it. We can be like the Sadducees orbiting around the written Torah, you know, neglecting the things of the spirit, not believing in the spiritual realm or the resurrection. Or we can be like the Essenes. We can separate ourselves from society and culture and and bifurcate our lives, create these silos. Or we can be like the Zealots and we can, you know, conflate uh, religious power and attack the power systems of the day, seeking to overthrow it. The Zealots believed you could kill the Romans if it were was for the greater good. And they were separate. The, the zealots were not just separatists like the Essenes, but they were actually militant in their approach. So we're more politically and religiously divided, or as politically. Well, let, and let, let me ask you this: Last week as we ever have been. Last week we were talking about how you determine God's call and how you respond to it. So if we fast forward to the present day and age, the 21st century, particularly in Western civilization, how many voices are we listening to today? Which voice is loudest? Is it Fox News? Is it MSNBC? Is it Republicans? Is it Democrats? Is it, is it, is it your, your industry you work in? Is it your family? Uh, there's competition for what Jesus Not- is teaching us. Yeah, nonsensical conspiracy theorists, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we are so, I mean, it is so noisy. Add in social media and algorithms. Oh, yes. You know, we haven't even talked about AI and and how, you know, we're in an echo chamber and technology is catering to our will. So we become the ultimate teacher and the ultimate authority of our own lives. I think John Stone Street was just talking a little bit about that today. Mm-hmm. Syncretism, yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- this is what this is. I mean, it's this madness. And and so in a noisy uh, society, in a noisy culture, with all of these different teachers, this is what I think Paul meant when he said there's going to come a time where people are going to have itching ears and they're going to seek to find teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Mm. I mean, in this kind of time and, and place, we should be seeking Jesus as our ultimate authority. We should be quieting ourselves, even ourselves, and then we should be quieting the noise around us and listening for Jesus's word. And when I say listen, I mean apply it, do what it says, and then seek him and see him 
as our teacher, as our ultimate authority. And when we put him first, you know, we can vote our conscience. We can step into the rest of our lives grounded uh, underneath Jesus's teaching and authority. Well, his voice speaks loudly and clearly, and he's, he has to do with the basics of life. And if you're impervious to that message, you've got a real problem. You've got to open up and, and, and get you. Just, just exposure to the Bible can be a, a huge. I mean, it's, it's amazing how old this piece of literature is and the power it still carries today. Uh, if you make yourself aware of it. Uh, I remember the first time I read the Bible through, I ended up confused, but inspired at the same time. <laughs> And, 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 and that was uh, 30 years ago or so, and it's been with me ever since, that, that, same, that same hunger, the same, the same thirst. Um, that happens when you, when you understand the authority, the authenticity of Jesus and, and the message he brought to those people and is still bringing us today. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate the message you brought us today, Robbie. We learn a lot from you every time you come by. And, uh, well, I hope we can continue in this. I don't know what you have in mind for next week, but... It's going to be something worth listening to, I'm sure. We'll see what the lectionary brings us. And uh, <laughs> well, blessing to be with you all, Jim and David, on the Broken Road. A pleasure, as always, on this feast day of St. Paul the Apostle. Yeah. Have a great week, Robbie. We'll see you. Bye-bye.